Well, friends, on this first Sunday of the year, we are turning our attention back to the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're in the third chapter of the Gospel of Mark as we make our slow, steady progress uh, through this shortest of the Gospel narratives. And this morning, we're going to look at verses 7 through 12. And uh, I'm going to read this, this aloud. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word as you're able and uh, when I've finished reading it, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and I'd ask you to respond, thanks be to God. Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. <clears throat> Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, as you look behind me here, now that the Christmas season is over, you recognize that these familiar banners are back up again. I think they've actually been, been switched, a little bit of variety. Uh, <clears throat> We preach Christ crucified. It's appropriate that that's on the wall here at Grace Church. Uh, we, we've not come together to hear a religion preached or a system of life or a, a way of thinking or a philosophy. Uh, we've come together to hear someone preached. Not someone preach, but someone preached to hear about Jesus Christ. We've come to have some, someone laid before us, lifted up again in the preaching of his word. All this Bible reading that we're doing, this gathering together as a church, listening to sermons, singing together, the, the purpose here is that we would know God through Jesus Christ, that we would know someone. And someone who is unlike anybody else. Christ crucified. Uh, he is not like anyone else. There is nobody like him. He is the God-man. He is fully God and fully man, united in one glorious purpose. He is high and exalted, and he is humble and near to us. And we see something of his glory in the meeting of the two his exaltation and his humiliation, his holiness and his justice and his power and his tenderness and his mercy and his compassion and his willing sacrifice. We, we see his glory when we consider him this person who is unlike any other. One of my favorite Baptist confessions, the New Hampshire Confession, puts it this way when speaking of the glory of Christ. It says that in in Christ, we have uniting in his wonderful person the tenderest sympathies with all divine perfections. There is a union in Christ 
of the tenderest sympathies in all divine perfections. Seeing Christ for who he is and his glory, Christ crucified and raised for us, knowing the Father and seeing Christ, this is the end for which we were made, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. This is the means by which we are saved. John chapter 3, Jesus Christ, like the, the serpent lifted up in the wilderness, he's lifted up and all who will believe in him, all who will look to him, they will be saved. It is our eternal state to which we look forward that we would gaze upon his glory for all eternity. The one who has the crown on his head but is like a lamb who was slain. We'll gaze upon his glory physically then with eyes, resurrected eyes. But all of faith now is about looking at him with eyes of genuine faith. Looking to Christ now and believing. Looking to him who goes before us. And I remind you of this because that is our goal again this morning, is to know Jesus Christ. Our, our goal collectively here, and I hope it's your goal personally, in listening to a sermon, the goal is not to be entertained. The goal is not even to have some practical instruction for how you might live better. But the goal is to see Jesus Christ for who he is again, by faith to love him, to trust him, and to worship him. Now this passage that I just read to you from Mark chapter 3, it's not notable on the surface of things. In fact, in the context of Mark's gospel, it is unusually broad. It's kind of a, a general, uh, it serves the purpose of a transition here. It's easy for us to skip over a passage like this. But I want to remind you, there's no filler here in the Bible. These are all words given by the Holy Spirit, and just as it is not Mark's usual style to, to, make, to spend a lot of words on broad general statements, so it is not the Holy Spirit's style either. Uh, these words have meaning. This passage, like all Scripture, is given so that we might know our Lord. And in this passage, if we take the time to consider it, by faith we can see His glory and love Him. And that's, that's our goal this morning to consider this passage carefully so that we might see the glory of Jesus Christ as he's revealed here in this text. I, my outline is pretty simple. I've got two observations to make. I want to talk to you about something that we see about his circumstances here and then something about what he's doing. First, his circumstances. We, we find the Lord Jesus at the beginning of this passage under immense pressure. And that is worth us considering for a little bit. You know, again, Mark lays things out quickly. There aren't a lot of words spent here. But verse 7, it says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. Now, do you remember why he is withdrawing with his disciples to the sea? Do you remember what happened in the previous passage? The past few chapters we've looked at, there's been this growing conflict all these controversies with him and the Pharisees, and they kind of came to a head at the beginning of chapter 3 when he heals the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day. And verse 6 here ends, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. They're not just looking for ways to criticize him and undermine him. They're actively plotting to kill him. 
And so Jesus withdraws with his disciples to the sea. He heads out of town. But his flight from public here does not result in increasing privacy, as we can see in the rest of verse 7, and a great crowd followed him. People were seeking him, as they had been seeking him already, and people from all over the place, from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from beyond the Jordan, from around Tyre and Sidon, that's all over the region, there were people coming to see Jesus. And some of them had traveled far, and I remind you, traveled far not by Uber, traveled far not in private jets, but on foot. They'd gone to great expense in terms of time and energy to come to Jesus. And why were they coming? Well, they'd heard what he could do. Look at verse 8. When the crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. They heard what he's capable of. They heard the stories. They heard the accounts. They heard the reports of what Jesus was doing in healing people like the man with the withered hand or the man that had leprosy or the paralytic that we read about earlier in Mark. They heard about it. And they themselves, especially people who were needy and desperate, they wanted to touch him. Verse 10, for he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. There's a great, desperate, needy crowd pushing on Jesus, and they had come from far away. You know, you can imagine if I loaded up my family into our suburban and I drove several hours to a museum or, you know, somewhere in the capital, we were going to go see some, something, and we got there and discovered that it was closed closed for cleaning or something like that. Even though I know that I'm not going to convince anybody to let us in when the museum's closed, as a father who just drove his family a long way to get there, I might say, is there anything you can do? Are you sure you can't get us in here? Because if I've traveled far to be there, I'm not going to be easily deterred, even if I'm a little bit annoying. Well, imagine, so, people who are desperately ill and needy and paralyzed and have, have run out of other options and they've traveled far to see the Lord Jesus, they're probably willing to be a little bit irritating to get close to him, to get near to him. So much so that he tells the disciples to have a boat ready for him on the water there in case he needs to flee. Look at verse 9. He told his disciples to have a boat ready because of the crowds lest they crush him. Now, this is not Jesus being, you know, dramatic like a rock star, like, you know, once he does his thing, he's going to bug out in a, a boat and wave at everybody so the paparazzi can't get him. I mean, this is Jesus concerned that there's physical violence going to result from this crowd that is pressing on him. In verse 10, when it says the, the, um, the people who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. That, that word that gets translated pressed there is, is literally falling on him. They were falling all over him. And they were not going to be deterred. I mean, can you imagine what that was like? I mean, put, try, to, try to get your head in that scenario. All of that need, all of that pain, all of that desperation pressing on him. I mean, friends, 
I get overwhelmed when I have a few phone calls I need to return. As I was talking to my boys about this passage last night, one of them, as I was describing this scenario, one of them said, it's like Black Friday. <laughs> Not that they've ever been to a Black Friday, I don't think, but, they, but they've seen videos, they've heard about it. The way that crowds, if crowds will crush people, crush people to death. That's a terrifying thing. And friends, these people, they were not pressing for a discount television. They wanted Jesus. And they were not desperate because they were greedy for a discount. For some of them, probably life was on the line. They were desperate because they were suffering. So imagine that, and not only that, in verse 11... And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and they cried out. People in this crowd, some who were suffering, were people who were suffering because of, of the work of, of demonic spirits, of, of fallen angelic beings, evil spiritual forces. And when these demonic spirits saw Jesus, they began to fall down and cry out about him, scream out about him. You are the Son of God. Now, they were not doing this in praise. They were doing this to harass him, to undermine him. More on that in a few moments as we go on. But remember, friends, that Jesus was not here engaged in this earthly ministry specifically for the purpose of healing people and casting out demons. Remember what he was doing, right? I mean, we looked at it very carefully a few chapters ago in Mark chapter 1, verse 38. Let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He had come to proclaim the kingdom of God, the gospel of God. And imagine this. He's preaching to these crowds. He does not have amplification in his voice like I do. And not only are these great crowds of people with disease and disability pressing, trying to fight against each other to get through, to get close to him, in danger of crushing him, but, but even as, as, as that's happening, those who have sicknesses that are of demonic origin, when they get close to him, these people start screaming their heads off. And not notice, not when he addresses them, not when he calls them out, but as soon as they see him. They start crying out. It must have been surreal. I, I've had the experience, and some of you, Randy, Brian, some of you had this experience too when you, you, you've been preaching at the, at the Samaritan Inn and somebody starts yelling at you. It is surreal. And, and to say that it's a little distracting is, uh, is an understatement. Right? And it's stressful. And that's not... <laughs> That's just somebody who may have had too much to drink. That's not an evil spirit. But think, on top of that, you think about Jesus and these crowds, you think about uh, these demonic spirits crying out. On top of that, you remember why Jesus was out there in the wilderness, not just was he out there to preach, but why he had withdrawn to the area around the lake, because the Pharisees were plotting to kill him. They were seeking to destroy him. There were even now, as this was happening, there were powerful people in the background, surely some, or at least their spies, involved in this great crowd around him, actively looking for ways 
to trap him, to ensnare him, to discredit him, to kill him. You put those things together, friends, being pressed with unending demands of very needy people, distractions and interruptions constantly, people scheming against you, actively seeking to hurt him, to kill him even. That is a lot of pressure that Jesus was under. I want to remind you, it's likely that it wasn't just this one afternoon. This was the way of life for our Savior when he walked on the earth from this point, in some ways all the way to the cross. An immense amount of stress and pressure was on him. Now, as I was considering this this week, thinking about this scenario, trying to get my head inside what's happening in this passage, I began to feel sympathy for Jesus. My my own heart began to go out to him some. I, I, in my own small way, I can identify with some pressure. You know, I've I've got needs pressing in on me. I've got my children. I've got... My, my mother's health right now, I've, I've got all kinds of thing, maintenance and repair that's, that's needed at our house and in my vehicles. There's all kinds of needs. Folks here in the church, there are responsibilities that sometimes seem like they never end. I can never get my hands around them, get my head around them. And not only that, I've got distractions and interruptions as I'm trying to fulfill my responsibilities as these needs press in all the time. All kinds of unexpected things come up always. It's not demons for me. It's, you know, we'll all get in the car, to uh, get all the kids in the car, and then you realize that somebody in the way back has got dog poop on their shoes. And then everybody's got to be unloaded again, and the car's got to be cleaned out, and shoes have got to be changed, and all that, you know, things like that happen all the time. And I, I also have people in my life that are not all that enthusiastic about me. Not people that want to kill me, at least I don't think so. But surely there are some people that don't like me. <laughs> and they're watching, waiting for me to slip up. Now that's nothing compared to what the Lord Jesus was going through. I've got my own little bit of pressure. But as I began to think about it, I began to sympathize with him some. What it feels like to be under so much pressure. And as I was thinking about that, it dawned on me, if that's the case... If I can sympathize with him, then surely he can sympathize with me, right? If I, in looking at him in this situation under so much pressure, if there is sympathy in my heart towards him in that trial, well, then surely when he looks at me in my own little trial, in my own little pressure that feels so overwhelming to me sometimes, surely there is sympathy in his heart towards me. And friends, if there's sympathy in his heart towards me, then surely there's sympathy in his heart towards you. Many of you know what it feels like to have endless needs piling up all around you, to have responsibilities with raising children, with caring for aging parents, with caring for sick loved ones, with a growing workload at work, maybe with responsibilities you can never catch up with, bills piling up, maintenance that never seems to get done, needs that you feel like you never get ahead of. 
Many of you know what it feels like to have unpredictable drama break out in your life all the time. Crisis after crisis at home, maybe. Drama at the workplace, a vehicle that breaks down at just the wrong moment, a child that gets sick, somebody calls out at work or quits. Some of you know what it feels like to have people that are unhappy with you and are looking for you to slip up. To have people that are looking for ways, it seems, to tear you down. Maybe a boss or a coworker or a spouse or a parent or an in-law. Many of you know what it's like to be under pressure and sometimes what feels like immense pressure. You know what it feels like to be overwhelmed with life and to feel like you're going to lose it and you can't make it. I think it's worth noting, it's worth remembering that our Lord knows that too. He knows what it's like to be pressed so hard that he asks him to have a boat ready in case he has to flee from the crowd lest he be crushed. And remember, friends, he chose to know what it's like to be under such pressure. Now, you and I didn't choose the life that we're living, but he did choose his life. He willingly submitted himself to these very circumstances, and he gave us this account of it in his word, in part so that we would know that he knows, that we would know that he knows that's what it's like to be in our shoes, that we would know that stressed and pressurized sinners have a sympathetic Savior in heaven, that our Lord looks down on us and is squeezed as we are by the cares of the world and sweating in the heat of the trials of life. He doesn't despise us in our weakness, but his heart goes out to us and he sees us with compassion and understanding. Now, this may seem like a trivial thing for me to devote so much time to. This may seem like something beside the point, but I'm very deliberately making a point of this because honestly, I'm worried about us. I'm worried about many of us. Many of the people in this church, many of the people in this room are under a great deal of pressure and stress. For many people in this room, stress and anxiety is a, is a daily threat to your faith. The cares of the world and the trials of life are a very real, clear, and present danger to you. The amount of stress and pressure in your life, the, the threat of choking your faith or scorching it, being ground up by the cares of the world. You know, for, for a lot of us, life is turning out to be harder than we thought it was, than we thought it was going to be. Christian discipleship is turning out to be harder, and the sense of failure is, is mounting. Given that reality, I think it is very important, it is not a secondary thing, it's very important that we don't give up, that we persevere, and in order to not give up, it is important that when we look to Christ, we see someone who understands our situation and the pressure of life in a fallen world and the weakness of the flesh, and he doesn't despise us, but he has sympathy.
it's important that we remember that Jesus Christ, not just intellectually, but personally, he knows that life is hard for you. He knows exactly how hard it is. He endured it himself. And far worse than what you and I have endured. He endured it without sin, but he endured it as a real human being, a real human man. He knows our frame. He knows that we're dust. And knowing all of that about us, knowing exactly what we're like in our weakness and our failure, he speaks to a crowd of people like us in Matthew 11, and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Friends, I don't care how much of a mess your life might feel like at the moment, how off the rails of your own plans things are at this point. If you go to Jesus Christ today, you'll find that he'll keep this promise, that if you go to him, you'll find rest. Rest for your soul in him. You'll find a sympathetic Lord in him. And it's, it's vitally important that we as a church and that every single one of us here as a church, collectively on Sundays, we keep turning our attention back to Christ crucified, but also that personally, in real faith, we keep turning our attention back to him, back to him in the midst of a, of a life that threatens to grind us up and scorch our faith. It's important that we keep turning to him as messy as things get, as chaotic as they might get, as pressurized as we might feel, that we keep turning to him and going to him for mercy to help in time of need, that we go to him and, and him again and again and again for relief, for sympathy. I, the, the illustration that I shared a minute ago about somebody in the very back of the car with dog poop on their shoes, that is, that is not a made-up illustration. Uh, that, that happened on Friday night as we were half an hour late leaving our house to go to the nursing home to visit my mom, and we finally got everybody in the car. You know, about half of us were screaming, well, a third. And once everybody's loaded in the car, you know, a smell is identified, and the, the origin of the smell is traced to the bottom of shoes and now the car. And everybody's unloaded, and we're cleaning, and we're later and later every moment. And I felt like I was going to lose my mind. And so we get in the car, and I'm in no kind of mental frame to go visit my mother at a nursing home. So we sit in the car, and I hand my wife a Bible, and I said, please, you've got to read. Because between my house and the Berkshire and Vinton, I had to have a fresh glimpse of Jesus Christ. I just had to. There just wasn't going to be a way that I was going to make it without him. You see. Now, given the pressure of the day, had I been particularly diligent in prayer all that day? I don't think that I had on Friday. It was a long day. Had I been particularly diligent in my 
in my personal discipleship? Had I, was I standing on a mountain of, of personal righteousness that I, have, that I had accrued that day to make such a bold claim, Jesus, deliver me in this hour of need? No, not remotely. But I wasn't going to him appealing for what I deserved because I'd been such a good Christian. I was going to him appealing to who he is. Oh, Christ, you know what it's like. In fact, my pressure here, I mean, dealing with dog poop in a car, this is nothing compared to what you were dealing with, but you know. You know what this feels like. Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, have mercy on me and sustain me. Have mercy on me and and carry on. I share that with you, friends. It is so important that those of you here, those of you with really small children that are waking up in the night, those those of you with crazy work schedules, those of you with, with people with needs pressing in all the time and unplanned distractions when you try to set aside time to pray, that you not start to think that Jesus is irritated and aloof by the chaos in your life. Or that he looks on you and says, when is he going to get it together? No, he very much understands. And you have a sympathetic ear with him when you go. And listen, friends, he paid such a great price in order that you might have a sympathetic Savior. He willingly came and endured life on the earth. So that you who feel like, I don't know how much longer I can live like this, know that you have someone who understands to go to. And not just somebody, but the Lord of life itself. Who poured out his blood at the cross. I have a whole other point that I want to make in the sermon, but I'm going to just wait on that. There's a very significant thing that happens here when Jesus commands these demons to be silent, and it has everything to do with his identity, and it has everything to do with us understanding him, and I'm not going to compress that into the next few minutes and not do it justice. We're going to come back to this. But friends, there are many of us, I think, who imagined at one point that we were going to charge across the threshold of heaven having lived a victorious Christian life, that we were going to take the world by storm, that we were going to be very different than we are, different parents, different church members, different evangelists to our neighbors. We imagine things very differently. And the pressures of life have mounted and things have not worked out like we thought. And in fact, we're probably going to barely limp across the threshold of heaven rather than charge across victoriously. The point that I want to make to you here is that the Jesus Christ we read about in the Scriptures, the Jesus Christ who came to be with this crowd, who came to die on the cross, he is not displeased with sinners limping towards heaven in his name. He does not despise people who in the pressures of life are not charging ahead victoriously. But sometimes they're barely hanging on. And the struggle is great. The Jesus Christ we read about in the Scriptures 
who died on the cross. He receives limping, weak, wounded sinners with great joy. And even right now, he knows there is nothing in your life, no amount of pressure, no amount of stress and trial that is beyond his ability to understand and to sympathize. And again, not just intellectually, but personally. And if you go to him, you find mercy. We're just getting started with this passage. We'll come back to it uh, the next time that I preach to you. But as we turn our attention now to the Lord's Supper here, remember exactly what it is we're going to celebrate. I mean, this is what he paid so that we would have him. He poured out his life. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For a righteous person, someone might dare to die, but for sinners, what kind of a king dies for his enemies? What kind of a God dies for rebels like us? What kind of a heart does our Savior have towards us that he would pour out his blood and give his life to atone for our sins? That's who it is that we're remembering today. And we're not remembering because he's gone. He lives. And he lives even at this hour. So friends, now let's, let's go in faith to the table. Let's go in faith to him, remembering who is symbolized in the bread and the cup here. Let's pray together now. Our Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. And oh Jesus, thank you for coming. Thank you for dealing with crowds like this. Thank you. Thank you for dealing with evil spirits. Thank you for subjecting yourself to a real human life so that we might have you as our Savior, as our Lord, as our brother, as our friend, so that we might have you as our sacrifice, you, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. We pray, Christ, that you would grant us faith now to receive this table in genuine faith. And we pray this, Christ, in your name. Amen.